From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, giant cell arteritis and associated vision loss. So there's a myriad of symptoms that giant cell can present with because of the fact that it affects all medium and large sized vessels. First this. Imagine a library of 100,000 books in subjects that interest you and subjects that don't. The books of this library are arranged bizarrely by publisher and date of publication. How useful would such a library be to you? How soon would you give up on trying to find a book that really interested you? ASCRS's impressive online content has been a little like that library until now. The new ASCRS Center for Learning at ASCRS.org learn organizes the vast and growing ASCRS online content, podcasts, and CME offerings into a unified, searchable whole so that we can find the material we want in the format that best suits us. Go to ASCRS.org and click on Center for Learning or go directly to ASCRS.org slash learn. When we think of conditions that require immediate attention, a number of pathologies come to mind. First among them is probably angle closure, but giant cell arteritis is not far behind. Quick identification of this condition can not only prevent bilateral blindness, but can even save a patient's life. The ophthalmic complication most associated with GCA is ischemic optic neuropathy. GCA is infrequent, and so large studies need to be conducted for the findings to be of statistical significance. John Chen from the Mayo Clinic has published the results from just such a study, and I'm happy to welcome him as my guest today. Can I get you to describe briefly the pathogenesis and the typical presentation and, and, and the incidence, although that's something we're going to be talking about later too, uh, of giant cell arteritis? Giant cell arteritis, it's the most common primary vasculitis of adults in the Western world, especially in the northern latitudes. That's why we see this so much here in Minnesota at the Mayo Clinic, just because of our patient population. It's a granulomatous inflammatory systemic vasculitis that affects the large and medium-sized blood vessels. And this becomes relevant to ophthalmologists because the posterior ciliary artery supplies the optic nerve, the central retinal supplies the inner retina, and those are medium-sized blood vessels and therefore susceptible to inflammatory occlusion from giant cell arteritis and, and ultimately irreversible vision loss. And that's why as eye care providers, we have to be so cognizant of giant cell arteritis. We just don't want to miss it. In terms of the pathogenesis, we actually don't really understand this all that well. We know it's an immune inflammatory reaction, but we don't know the trigger. We know it affects the elderly. We know it affects patients of Northern European descent more than other races. But the exact cause actually still remains a mystery. In fact, there's even been some recent speculation that the zoster virus may actually play a role in some cases of giant cell arteritis. But I think more research needs to be done. On pathology, we know it's a granulomatous inflammatory reaction that tends to occur in the internal elastic lamina of the medium large sized vessels. And this leads to this thrombotic occlusion from the inflammation. But once again, the cause is still not entirely well known. When patients have arteritis, they typically present with systemic symptoms of headaches, scalp tenderness, jaw claudication, and you can have other symptoms like weight loss, 
fevers, and up to a third of patients can have polymyalgia rheumatica, where they're going to have kind of some stiffness and pain in the joints, especially in the hips. Among the symptoms, the headaches are the most common. The jaw claudication is the most specific. So anytime a patient has jaw claudication, I'm really worried about John's arthritis. The jaw claudication is, is different from TMJ. This pain with jaw claudication, it has to build when they when they eat. The muscles really start to get really fatigued and you get this pain the more they chew. Whereas the TMG jaw pain is different. You know, there they essentially right when they bite, they've got jaw pain. So if they have true jaw claudication, I'm really worried about gynecoarteritis. In terms of vision symptoms, uh, patients often present with transient vision loss before they actually have permanent vision loss from typically arteritic anterior ischemic optic neuropathy. Sometimes patients can have double vision and uh, it really can be any pattern because it can be ischemia to the cranial nerves, the brainstem, to the extraocular muscles themselves. Also, patients with gynecoarteritis can sometimes rarely have stroke, typically in the posterior circulation. Uh, patients can have irrititis leading to aneurysms. So there's a myriad of symptoms that giant cell can present with because of the fact that it affects all medium and large size vessels. In terms of the annual incidence, it's it's a large range depending on the study. It, it ranges from one to thirty thousand, one to thirty per one hundred thousand in terms of annual incidence in people over the age of fifty. And this large variability is because of the location of the study. In uh, in Rochester, in Minnesota, we have an annual incidence of about 20 per 100,000, and that's because it's a largely of Scandinavian descent. However, in Japan, the annual incidence is about one per 100,000, and in patients with African descent, it's probably less than one per 100,000. Women tend to be affected more commonly than men in a, at a ratio of about three to one. But once again, the, the annual incidence just really largely depends on, on the race of the patient. John, how does GCA cause AION? You, you alluded to this before. A- and can GCA cause vision loss, permanent vision loss, by means other than by AION? Right. Uh, GCA predominantly causes vision loss by AION. And it's, it's caused by this inflammatory occlusion of the posterior ciliary arteries. That's what feeds the anterior nerve head. And then when that happens, you get arteritic anterior ischemic optic neuropathy, or AION, and that's by far the most common cause of vision loss. Because it's an inflammatory occlusion of the posterior ciliary arteries, it tends to cause infarction rather than ischemia of the nerve head. That's why you typically get this pallid disc edema um, rather than this hyperemic disc edema um, that you see in non-arteritic anterior ischemic optic neuropathy. It's also why the vision loss tends to be more severe because it's true infarction of that nerve head. Because the ciliorenal artery is supplied by the posterior ciliary artery, it can also be occluded in patients with giant arteritis. In, uh, and because and and that's in the in the twenty percent or so of patients who have ciliorenal arteries. Um, for me, when I see a ciliorenal artery occlusion, it's giant arteries until proven otherwise. And uh, if there's simultaneous disc edema and ciliorenal artery occlusion, it's really pathognomonic for giant arteritis. It can uh, because giant arteritis affects medium-sized blood vessels, it can also cause inflammatory occlusion of the central renal artery and that leads to a central renal artery occlusion. You can also sometimes get posterior ischemic optic neuropathy, choroidal infarcts, or even complete ophthalmic artery occlusions. Um, and of course, those would be the most severe patients presenting with NLP right off the bat. John, giant cell arteritis is an uncommon condition. And so the incidence of GCA-related visual loss has been difficult to assess. What question did your study seek to answer? 
Yeah, I agree that it's, it's a difficult disease to study because it's fairly uncommon. The, the main drawback of, the, of many of the prior studies is that they were typically large referral-based studies and therefore susceptible to, re- to referral bias. Um, so if, if you have a large academic center, you're going to be referred to the most serious and severe patients. And therefore, it's possible that the data could be skewed to the more severe cases rather than the actual disease in the general population. So the, the goal of this study was to use something called the Rochester Epidemiology Project to actually get a non-biased population-based estimate of the incidence of vision loss pertaining to GCA. What is the Rochester Epidemiology Project, John? Yeah, the Rochester Epidemiology Project is a it's a record linkage system of all the medical records for residents in Olmsted County, Minnesota. Essentially, all of the care of residents in Olmsted County get their care at Mayo Clinic, the Olmsted Medical Center, and all these records are shared and accessible with the Rochester Epidemiology Project. And therefore, because all the records of all the patients in Olmsted County are all together, we can actually do population-based studies and obtain incidences of diseases and also their manifestations without any concern for referral bias. And if you actually look at all the incidence studies of all kinds of diseases, not just in ophthalmology, but just over, overall in medicine, you actually find that almost a half of them actually in the U.S. are actually coming from Olmsted County. And it's because of this resource from the Rochester Epidemiology Project, the fact that we've got medical records for every single patient here in the Olmsted County. Can I get you to describe the design of your study and, and what were your main outcome measures? We, we used the Rochester Epidemiology Project and we retrospectively looked at all the patients with newly diagnosed giant cell arteritis from 1950 through the end of 2009. And so we had a large longitudinal study. We looked at all the records and we identified patients with permanent vision loss from giant cell arteritis. That was our main outcome measure. We also looked at sed rate, C-reactive protein, and systemic symptoms of giant cell arteritis, and we compared them between patients with permanent vision loss and patients without vision loss from giant cell arteritis. What were the non-vision symptoms at presentation for the study population, and were the non-vision presenting symptoms different for those GCA patients who went on to subsequently develop vision loss? That's a good question. Our patients had with vision loss had the classic symptoms of GCA, commonly headache, jaw claudication, scap The symptoms were similar, but the biggest difference was that the patients with vision loss from giant cell arteritis had less systemic symptoms than the cohort without vision loss, especially they had less headaches. In fact, we found that 20% of patients with vision loss from GCA actually had no systemic symptoms other than the vision loss itself. What were your findings regarding the incidence and the etiology of vision loss? Among the 245 patients with GCA, about 8% had permanent vision loss from GCA. 85% of these were from arteritic ischemic optic neuropathy, which is not too surprising. And 15% were from central artery occlusion and uh, ciliary retinal artery occlusion. So really the vast bulk were from arteritic ischemic optic neuropathy. Because because the vast majority of arteritic ischemic optic neuropathy is actually caused by giant cell arteritis, we were actually able to provide an annual incidence of this. We found it was 1.3 per 100,000, which was higher in women at about 1.6 per 100,000 compared to one per 100,000 in men. Of course, the higher higher incidence of AION in women is actually just a reflection of the higher percentage of women being affected by giant cell arteritis 
uh, compared to men, rather than women actually being more susceptible to vision loss from GCA. And overall, our GCA cohort without vision loss was 79% female, and our cohort with vision loss was 80% female. So there's really no difference there. After the initial vision loss, did most of these patients demonstrate any significant visual recovery? Unfortunately, after the initial vision loss, the vast majority of patients did not have significant visual recovery, especially the ones presenting with severe vision loss at onset. There were three eyes that improved greater than two lines, but overall, there was no difference in the initial, initial visual acuity or final outcome. And in fact, three eyes presenting with light perception or count fingers ended up progressing to no light perception despite immediate steroid treatment. I think the immediate steroid treatment is very important to save the other eye, uh, but unfortunately, we don't expect much recovery for the eye that is already affected. You found the patients in the latter half of your cohort, that's to say 1980 to 2009, had vision loss that while still dismal at an average of 2300 was better than those in the first half of your cohort, the 1950 to 1979, who had an average of hand motions vision. Why do you think this is the case? There was a a trend of better vision in the more recent patients compared to earlier patients. Um, And I think this was primarily due to two patients that ended up NLP bilaterally who who were seen before 1979. Interestingly, these two patients actually had sought medical care with mild vision loss, but the GCA was missed until they had complete loss of vision in both eyes. Fortunately, since 1980, there have been no cases of bilateral complete blindness. And I think this reflects our better awareness of the disease. As we talked about before, early treatment with steroids will unlikely change the outcome of the affected eye but I think it can prevent, typically prevent the affected eye from getting worse. And the main one is it prevents involvement in the other eye. So I think that's the main reflection in terms of why we're seeing some better outcomes recently. John, you discussed some of the typical presenting symptoms for GCA. Can GCA present with vision loss as its sole symptom, meaning that can vision loss occur in the absence of any other GCA symptoms? Unfortunately, the answer is yes. Uh, vision loss in the absence of GCA is, is worse, worrisome, and it's the so-called occult giant sideritis. In fact, we found that 20% of patients with permanent vision loss had no systemic symptoms compared to 4% of patients with GCA without vision loss. In some ways, this makes sense. Something needs to make us have to look for giant sideritis, some kind of symptom. If you have headaches, scalp tenderness, or jaw claudication, we're going to look for GCA. If you don't have those symptoms, then the first symptom can potentially be vision loss. Others have found um, occult presentations ranging anywhere between 5 to 38%. Um, probably one of the largest cohorts in the past um, was done by Dr. Hayray, and he found occult GCA in 21% in his cohort of patients. So I, I think the number, and this was purely a population-based study, no referral bias, and we found 20% had no systemic symptoms. So that's, that's a worrisome that's fairly high, a, a number that's fairly high and, and something that you know, we have to look out for. John, let let me ask you whether your findings from this 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 study are going to have any impact on your practice going forward. And I I can think of one way, uh, one unfortunate way that they'll have an impact on uh, mine, which is is that I will be able to give patients uh, a fair prognosis of uh, visual recovery after visual loss from GCA in the sense that I'll be able to tell them uh, that we don't really expect any. Is, is, is there any other way in which these uh, findings are going to inform your practice going forward? 
Yes, unfortunately, as you had mentioned, once the eye is affected, we're not going to expect, expect much recovery. But that treatment is crucial to try and prevent the other eye from being affected, try and prevent other things that can occur with GCA like stroke. I would say the, the biggest finding that was a little bit surprising but is the fact that 20% of patients with vision loss from giant sclerosis had no systemic symptoms. So they did not have headaches, no scalp tenderness, no jaw claudication. And because of that, I get an ESR and a, a, I get a SED rate and a C-reactor protein on, on any patient over the age of 60 presenting with transient vision loss or anterior ischemic optic neuropathy. And that's regardless of whether they have systemic symptoms of GCA, because 20% in my mind is a number that's too high to miss if treatment can, can mean preventing permanent vision loss um, in the other eye. This is your approach to elderly, not, not even all that old, uh, patients uh, presenting to you with amaurosis fugax, even in the absence of uh, classical GCA symptoms. John, this was a, 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 a great, though, I have to tell you, somewhat frightening study. Uh, I, I, I learned a, a great deal from it. I, I want to thank you for bringing this topic to us and being so very generous with your time with us. No, absolutely. I really enjoyed my time. Thank you very much, Dr. Young. John Chen is Assistant Professor of Ophthalmology at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. His paper, Evaluating the Incidence of Arteritic Ischemic Optic Neuropathy and Other Causes of Vision Loss from Giant Cell Arteritis, appears in the September 2016 issue of Ophthalmology. Ask questions of Dr. Chen or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at josh at iWorld.org. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.